Thank you, ladies, for that really, really great special. Very gorgeous. Love that. Come Christians, join to sing. It's an honor to be here and be able to preach this morning to you all. I want to share with you one of my favorite psalms today. It's a psalm that shows the majesty and the goodness and the heart of God towards his children. When given the opportunity to preach today, they told me to just show you my heart. Just preach a passage that would help do that. And I picked this psalm not just because it, it's the overall series of the year. It's not an official part of the series of psalms. But I picked it because it's challenged me so much in my life. My hope is to use uh, some parts of my life today to illustrate uh, this passage a little bit. So that you can get to know me a little better and also to t- challenge you in your walk with the Lord as well. I want you to get to know your God more, hopefully today. Yeah, I'm the dean of men and the men's basketball, basketball coach, but up until now, I've been a lot of other things. I've been a pastor, a counselor, a musician, a choir director, a choir teacher, a music theater teacher. I've been a UPS truck loader. I've been an IT director. I've been a computer builder sales manager. I've done a lot of things in life. But the Lord led me here today in some unique circumstances. And I have stories upon stories that show the goodness of God as well as what we will see as the problem that Israel had in our text. I'm here today because God has helped me understand some things about my life, my path, and the future for my family. I may not be able to get into every detail of it today, but it's there in the background. Today, from Psalm 81, I hope that I can encourage you and nudge you toward God in his great and glorious path for your life as well. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 81. I ask if you have your Bible with you, and even if you don't, please stand with me while we read as, uh, out of respect for the Word of God. We're going to read the entire psalm. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon, in the time appointed on our solemn feast day, For this was a statute for Israel and a law for the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the whole land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Thou callest me in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I provided thee. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee. O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall be no God, strange God, be in thee. Neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. 
So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the richness of it. I thank you that we have the opportunity daily to come into your word. I thank you for the, the importance that the preaching of your word has at Maranatha Baptist University, that the proclamation of it is infused in every aspect, and that we even come together like this specifically, on Mondays and Tuesdays especially, to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, I pray that today I would be an adequate communicator of the beauty of your word, the truth of your word, and the heart that, uh, that you have explained in it. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to see you more clearly, love you more dearly today. And Lord, that we would follow you with our whole hearts. Bless our time together in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God's been good to me. I've been a child of God for over 35 years. I came to know Christ very, very early in life. I was about four years old. There was a special circumstance. A missionary was coming to present their ministry at our church, give a report. And the missionary's wife wanted to do junior church. We never had junior church. It was a very small church. So it was an exciting day. And through the Holy Spirit working through Darlene Shendell's ministry to the kids that day, I gave my life to Jesus. That combined with a godly home afforded me the safety to grow up in a great and God-honoring environment. But despite that almost idyllic environment, I still balanced on the edge of disaster at times because I was acting as the Israelites had in this passage. In Psalm 81, the psalmist begins with a call for the worship of God on the event of the Passover. He uses the circumstances of the deliverance of, uh, from Egypt as the backdrop, the source for the point of this psalm. God showed amazing grace to the nation of Israel during this time, but also made a covenant request with them that had some conditional points to it. This psalm is kind of a shortened poetic form of Deuteronomy 28. God had told the nation of Israel that blessing comes with listening and with doing what he had told them to do, and calamity comes from ignoring it. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 28, it is amazing how specific God is saying, if you follow me, if you do these things that I have said, there's going to be some great things in your future. Blessing's going to come. But if you don't, there's going to be calamity. There's going to be some real bad parts. The first part of the psalm is packed with allusions and references to the, to the events of the Exodus. He says, 
uh, in, in verse 3, which, by the way, as a brass player, I love how the King James puts this, blow up the trumpet in the new moon, all right? It really just means uh, sound the trumpet at the new moon, and, you know, usually it's tilted up. But still, it really gives you that, that feeling of playing brass. Yes, brass players, there's trumpet buddies, yes. Okay. Widely regarded, though, this is widely regarded here when it talks about the, uh, the solemn feast day. It's re- widely regarded as the direct reference to the Feast of the Passover. It's a, uh, it's a commemoration. God instituted this as a commemoration of the final plague that he visited upon Egypt to cause Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Verse 4, we have another one. It says, this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. We're talking, here's another allusion about the giving of the law. Statute brings that, uh, the idea of statute brings up that giving of the law and especially the Ten Commandments. And in verse 9, it's even more specific when he talks about, uh, when he says, there shall, uh, uh, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. That's that first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then verses 6 and 7 references the onerous burden that the Israelites were under while in Egypt and how they cried to God for help. The next two phrases refer to events that happened at or around the time of Sinai. He talks about the secret place of thunder, and that's the idea of that cloud of uh, the cloud and the pillar of fire that followed them through and then rested with them, and uh, the, the cloud that was over the the mountain while uh, Moses went up. And uh, often this idea of thunder was considered like uh, the, the voice of God. So it's mo- that is most likely a reference to the pillar of cloud and fire. But, God, but the final phrase says, uh, it, it talks of the waters of Meribah, where the psalmist recalls the events of Exodus 17, 1 through 7. There God tested the faith and the trust of the Israelites. They needed water. And what did they do? Instead of trusting God to provide them for water, they grumbled, they complained, they tested God as well. They complained to God. God provided for them. He provided for them water. Where did he provide to them water from? A rock. The most inanimate and, and least hydrated item you can find on earth, a rock. And there he gives water from it. And that's why it's called Meribah, because it means grumbling. And then after that, the psalmist says, Salah. He says, sit and rest and think about that for a moment. Now, on the basis of that, he goes on. On the basis of all that God had done, he says, here is the message from God for you. It's the, he says, hearken. Here, and you'll see that uh, more times throughout this passage. You can see, hear, O my people, if you will hearken unto me. And it says, you did not listen to me, but listen to your own counsels. And later on, oh, that my people would listen. This idea of hearkening, listening comes up. And that is, uh, by repetition, we understand, God. this is what God wants us to hear from this psalm. Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to listen to him? And the specific thing that he wants us to listen to is this, verse 9. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. God wanted them to listen 
primarily to this one issue. Don't put any other things before me. You know, if Israel had done that, so much of the rest would have taken care of itself. It's so nice when God breaks this down and says, listen, here's the most important thing, the first commandment. Love God. Follow him. Make him your first and your one and only. No other gods before me. It's a fundamental question of human existence. Who or what are you going to worship? You know, there's so many things that we can worship. Worship is just a value statement. What do I value? When we say that we're worshiping God through song, we are proclaiming what God is worth to us, what he has done for us, what it's worth to us. And we were all built for worship of one thing or another. Just watch any three-year-old when I walk by. They're awed by the height, okay? It's even more if, uh, if good news walks by. <laughs> what happens to every five-year-old when they get to meet their, their, the person that they love watching on uh, basketball on TV, if they get to go down and give fives to them, you know, in the, in the, as they come out of the tunnel? There's, there's an aspect of worship there because they ascribe worth to this person. What is it in our life that is becoming greater than God in our life or has become? And this isn't something, sometimes it's easy to, to dismiss this as just an overarching thing. Well, overall, I never give up God for this. But the point is that on an individual moment-by-moment basis, we make these decisions. It might be the 30 minutes that we want to sleep rather than getting up to read our Bible. It might be the, uh, the going off on our own for a shopping trip when we know that our roommate is hurting and needs a, needs a friend and an ear, but we just can't deal with it. It could be, it could be the video game. It could be it, all sorts of things that we make a value judgment and say, well, right now I know I shouldn't, but... I just, I need the break. Or I need this, or I need this. And so then we go to those things other than God to satisfy that need. That is the exact issue that the Israelites did throughout their history. They went to other gods for things that they needed because they thought they, those gods could provide for them. And God sat there saying, oh, my people would listen to me because I would have filled you up. That's what God's calling to every one of you today. Take a look in your life. Where are you looking to be filled up outside of Jesus Christ? God frames this, re- this requirement, uh, have no other gods, the, uh, neither shalt thou worship any strange god. He frames it in this, with this idea of, oh, that my people... It's almost a a, a cry, a pleading. And later on, it's almost a lament because they don't. It It shows pain. Sometimes I have moments with my kids like this. I know what they should do and I want them to choose it. I'm not going to choose it for them. I'm not going to make it a requirement. 
I want them to choose the right so bad because I know there's good for them waiting on the other side. And then they choose not to. And I'm so heartbroken because I want them to have it so bad. Sometimes I deal with counselees this way. Holding out righteousness for them. Hoping and pleading that they would see what God is trying to do in their life right now and that they will grab hold of it. They will forsake those other gods. But they didn't. Israel didn't. They did listen to someone. God's saying, listen, listen to me. Follow me. Do what I, this idea of listen is more than just hear it with your ears. It's, it's the functional doing afterwards. It's the heeding of it. They did listen to somebody in this passage. Who does it say that they listened to? They listened to themselves. It says uh, in verse 11, But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to their own hearts and lusts, and they walked in whose counsels? Their own. They walked in their own counsels. And what was the result? Right there, so I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts. God wants you to make him your one and only today. It's our daily question. We need to to ask, is this relationship taking God's place? Is this sport taking God's place? Are the grades I'm trying to get taking God's actual place in my life? Am I finding more satisfaction in my A's than I am in my communion with God, in the ministries that God has put before me. You know, as it shows here, that's self-destructive. We're actually destroying our life when we put something else before God. When When we choose those things that we know we ought not to just because we're in a weak moment, we are we are introducing destructive elements that will eat away. And to turn from that, do you know what it takes? Yes, repentance. Yes, all of those things. But fundamentally, do you know what you have to have before you repent? You've got to want to. There's got to be some kind of desire that I don't want what I've got, and I want what God has, so I'm going to turn. And I've seen it time and time again with people throughout my ministry where I look at them and I say, all this takes, all this is going to take because the Holy Spirit is in you. He is right there. He's with you. God wants you to have the full life that he has planned for you. All you've got to do is reach out and take it. You have to follow him, walk with him, You've got to want him, and that's it. He will fill up what is lacking. Because yes, you can't do it on your own. You can't walk perfectly with God on your own. Yes, that is true. Every one of us has to choose to do it, and God will provide what's left. And that's what he's saying here. Obviously, God is offering all of this to Israel. He's he's saying, this is what I had in store for you because I know you can't do it on your own. But it comes down to one thing. 
Will you follow me and make me your one and only? In 2012, my wife and I faced a very interesting situation. We had adopted two children, and uh, we had we pretty much used all of our nest egg, our savings, to do so. It was very expensive. We thought our family was complete. We thought God had praised God. He'd given us two kids, and we loved them dearly, and we were done. And then the Lord, through an act of government, allowed us to uh, get a lot of that money returned to us. And we praised God that now we weren't so financially strapped and we were going to uh, be able to take care of some things like a, maybe a car or some furniture that had been ruined and some things like this, maybe even take a real vacation for once. And we had all of this stuff planned. Uh, we were thinking about how, what a great blessing this was from God. And about that time, I was reading uh, a book. I was reading a book by uh, Paul Tripp called A Quest for More. And I said, as I was reading through the first few chapters, I, I was thinking about all that was going on, and then I went to my wife and I said, I think we need to read this book. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have any specific laid out ideas of what we need to do again. But I just think before we make decisions with, this, with, this, with these finances, we, ought, we should consider the things that are being said in this book. And in this book, Paul David Tripp posits this idea of we have such a small view of life when we shrink it to our life's concerns. But when we allow God to come into our life and, and tell us and, and direct us and we say, fundamentally ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do? How can I serve your kingdom? He'll come in and he will explode your world and not in a bad way. It just expands. It gets so much bigger than you ever expected. 2012, we were convinced that we needed to try and adopt again. And we went through two more years of intense trial. You want to talk about uh, uh, the waters of Meribah, the testing of God and our grumbling. It wasn't pretty. But God in his goodness was still faithful. And I'm going to come back to the rest of that story. I want to share with you, though, in the next couple of minutes, a a few New Testament parallels to this passage. Because as we've gone through this and we see that God wanted them to listen to him and that there was great blessing as they put him first as their God, as as they listened to him in that, And there was unfortunate circumstances, natural consequences even, that might have happened because they didn't. One might say, well, this seems really tied to the covenant community of Israel. And in one sense it is. But because we see these themes also picked up elsewhere in the New Testament, we can have absolute confidence that this is really a character of God study. This is how God deals with his people. First place I want you to think about is Romans 1, verses 19 uh, through 32. 
That passage is uh, too long for us to read here together the entire, uh, the entire way, but it talks about how God, uh, how, how people give up the worship of God for the worship of the things that are created. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They serve the creation rather than the creator. And then it says in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And then it says uh, in, in a later verse, it talks about giving them up to, the, to their reprobate minds. That's exactly what, what the psalmist is talking about in verse 81. I gave them up to their lusts. I allowed them to pursue and feel the utter end of their sin and of their other gods. Then is this passage, second, this passage also reminds me of Matthew 7, 7 through 10. That beautiful passage says this, Ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's, a, that's a, a statement of our God's love for us. He wants us to ask him. And not so that he can just sit up in his ivory tower and laugh and say, that's nice. He wants us to ask because he cares and he wants to help us and give to us what we need in life. Verse 8, for everyone that asks receive and he that seeks finds and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks ask bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, I'm not talking about some health and wealth, name it, claim it kind of thing. All I'm saying is that God does not ask us to bear an onerous burden of making him first without the promise also of saying, I am the best place to be. God says, you follow me, you make me your your God, your one and only, you put no other gods before you. And that is the very best place that you can be because I am the good gift giver. James 1, same thing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And then shortly after even that, that's in verse, uh, that's James 1, 17. And then in 22, just a couple verses later, it says, but you be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But if you be hearers of the word and not a doer, he is like a man that beholds his natural face in a glass, for he beholds himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty... And continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. What's the next phrase? This man shall be blessed in his deed. Or as other other translations put it, blessed in his doing. In the things that he's doing in this vein, the things that he's doing as he does the word, he's going to be blessed. So I, I want you students... Faculty and staff, too. Visitors, I plead with you. Hear God. He says, what do you have in in the way of of you giving me everything? You think it's going to give you what you want. 
You think it's going to help you along your path. But it's not. I, God says, I am the one who can give you blessing. Follow me. Returning back to the story of 2012, when we, it went on until about 2014. And in the end, we, used, we decided to use these, those funds to adopt again. And during those two years, we said goodbye to, it's hard to count, my wife knows every last one of them. But I know it was over 15 children one way or another, whether it was a failed adoption, an option that came up that never came to fruition, uh, miscarriages. We even were down in Houston, Texas, uh, one uh, for Christmas because we were supposed to pick up a little girl and the mother changed her mind while we were down there. And we went home to an empty little girl's nursery. But as we fought through that, we were coming to the end of the finances that we said, okay, God, we're going to give it to you. We're going to use it for your kingdom in giving a home to those who may not be in a home that would hear Jesus. And while at the Biblical Counseling Training Conference, uh, one of the presenters there who goes to the church there, Dan Wickert, Uh, said, have you ever considered embryo adoption? And I looked at him like he was from Mars because I'd never heard of it, and it sounded really hooky and weird. We started looking into it and uh, pursued it. And in the end, when we were at the very end of the finances, God allowed my wife to become pregnant through embryo adoption a special blessing for her to be able to experience pregnancy and carry them. And we we were able to, she was able to get pregnant, and that is how we got our triplets. Now, if that's not an expanded, if that's not an expanded world, my wife's journey through that deepened her walk with God in ways that she had never She'd never known. She wrote a song about it. She has a book published that was prompted through it. We've had ministry to people never would have, never would have connected with. Because we said all of these things that we could do with the finances, they're not as important as the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Just what we've heard in in Psalm 81. And what? All of these things, all of this food, raiment, all this stuff that's of temporal nature, I'm going to take care of it. You'll have what you need. It's fine. Seek first the kingdom of God. Final thing, and I'm just going to take a couple more minutes, has to do with how I got here. I had a great life in Kansas. I had a successful ministry. People that I loved and loved me. But we had a couple of things that we, ha- we couldn't solve. There were a couple of issues that we couldn't solve. And so we went before the Lord and said, Lord, is there something else that you would have for us to solve these problems 
and give us ministry opportunity. And right when I gave, went through all of that for several months, and I thought it was all gone, I thought, okay, we're going to stay in Kansas. We still haven't solved these problems. We're going to have to just gut through it and figure it out. That's when I got the call. Would you consider the job of dean of men and basketball coach? Do you know what I said? Anybody ever know what I said? Emily knows because she was on the call. I said no. I'd never even considered that. I mean, it wasn't even in my, in my mind. But the Lord worked on my heart, and I, I was praying, and I thought, you know, that is the wrong way. to. Uh, that's not the way I've ever gone about anything having to do with jobs or vocation. So I called back, and I said, okay, if they still want to talk to me, I'd be willing to talk. And I'll tell you what, when you don't hold tightly, even to a successful ministry and a church that you love, when you, when you hold with an open hand and say, Lord, it's all yours, I just want to go where you want me to be, I, want to, I don't want to have anything else in front of you. The Lord does amazing things. And he worked all of this out for me to be standing here in front of you, to have the opportunity to work with the dorm suits, the RAs, many of you men, basketball players, things that I'd never even conceived. A world expanded far beyond what I, I, could, have, I could have thought of. When we put God right there, right in front of us, and we say, I'm going to pursue you, you are my one and only I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to do. Lord, let me walk in your blessing and see that expanded kingdom. And I hope that you do that today too. I know there are students in here because in a group this size, it's a statistical absolute. There are people in here who have things in front of God. There are students in here who are struggling in life and looking for their satisfaction in other places. Just as God says, I want to please plead with you. Oh, that you would listen to God's voice because he wants to fill you up. And the very end it says, with honey from the rock, I would have given them. What's better than water from a rock? Honey. God just upped the ante. He wants He wants to give you so much in him. Not the wealth and the, all of that. That stuff's all extra. That's out there. That you know, may come, it may not come. Who, who knows? But satisfaction and fulfillment right there in Jesus. Take it. Please take it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak to these people. Lord, it's, it's overwhelming to see how you have worked through this frail person to bring me here. Lord, I pray that as we've looked through Psalm 81 and some of these other passages that, that, uh, that it's remindful of in the New Testament, I pray that you have worked in the heart of one or two or three or ten. I, I don't know how many, Lord, but I pray that it would not fall on a path that does not allow it to sink in. 
I pray that your word would take root in their heart. That every one of us would know your goodness and your love for us. Lord, help us to know that the very best place we can be in life is with you as our one and only. Oh God, I pray that if any student or faculty or staff or visitor or whoever they are in here today, if any of them needs to get something right, that they would not wait, that they would immediately, they would immediately take care of this and seek help to put you first in their life so that they can know your blessing, so that they can know your satisfaction, so that they can taste the honey from the rock. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We lift you up. May you ever be our one and only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.